This story uh, that, that uh, Bill told begins way back at the beginning of chapter three. This is, goes on for two chapters. It's, it's pretty important in, in the book of Acts. The beginning of chapter three, it, it, uh, we are told that there was a man lame from birth who was brought um, to the temple gate and um, he, was, he was laid there and he begged for alms. You know, you can kind of see this scene. We kind of see it frequently. Um, you know, you walk in the short north, you walk in High Street downtown. Uh, there, are, there are people begging alms. Some are standing at corners, some are leaning against buildings, some are uh, squatting in doorways. And, uh, you know, we might walk around them, we might intentionally ignore them, we might, we might give them money. Uh, you know, we, we know this scene. When Peter and John walked by the man, lame from birth, who was begging for money, they said, we don't have any money. I've said that before. Uh, I'm not carrying my billfold. Peter and John responded, we don't have any silver and gold, but what we have we'll give you. By the power of Jesus, stand and walk. And the guy stood and walked. That's a stunner, you know. He stood and walked and ran around and jumped up and down and was praising God and he drew quite a crowd. You know, what's going on here? How did this happen? Well, Peter and John tried to explain how it happened. You know, the power that raised Christ from the dead on Easter is the same power that healed this man. And you too can have this power if you repent and turn to God. Well, it caused quite a lot of excitement to an extent that the authorities thought it best to throw Peter and John in jail. So they spent the night in jail. The next day, the story picks up where Bill began. Peter and John are referred to as the prisoners, and they are called out of prison in their chains and stand before Annas and Caiaphas and the rest of the uh, priestly family. It's as if this case started with a, with, a, with a beat cop and worked its way up through the court system and is now at the Supreme Court level. This doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but I'm kind of interested by it, that three months earlier, probably three months earlier, these same people Caiaphas and Annas and the, and the ruling authorities had called Jesus to stand before them. And they asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And I wonder if Peter and John thought, man, Three months ago, when this happened to Jesus, we ran. 
We hid. We didn't have any courage. We denied Jesus. And now we are, three months later, standing full of the Spirit with courage, being confronted and not backing down. And I wonder when they mentioned Jesus, if the leaders thought to themselves, who? I don't remember him. Jesus who? You mean he was here? Huh. I wonder if they even remembered who Jesus was. But they asked the same question basically of Peter and John that they asked of Jesus. By what power do you do these things? By whose authority do you do these things? By whose authority did you heal this man? There's no question that the man was healed. There's no doubt about that. But by whose power and whose authority did they heal this man? Who says you could do this? Who gave you permission? Who gave you authority? By what right do you do that? You know, we've asked that of people. We've had people ask it of us. You know, there was a time in this country where the question of, who said you could eat at this restaurant? was a con confrontative question. Who said you could sit at this counter? Who said you could live in this neighborhood? Who said you could marry this person? Who said you could park here? Person was walking down the street with her dog Friday, and her dog left a present on the church property, and she kept walking. I ran out and said, Who said your dog? could leave a gift here. <laughs> it says earlier in chapter 4, they were annoyed. The leaders were annoyed. That's why they asked the question. It's a control issue, isn't it? They wanted their control. Who gives you the right to interrupt our world? Who gives you permission to disturb our peace? And it's annoying. I like control. I like control. I don't get up in the morning and say, Oh God, I hope things don't go my way today. I mean, do any of you ever pray that in the morning? I hope things don't go my way. You know, we don't. Teachers like things to go their way in the classroom. Principals like it to go their way in school. Coaches like things to go their way with the team. Judges like things to, to be under control in the, in the courtroom. Parents like things, their children to be under control. We like control. It makes our life easy and smooth and predictable. 
Now the question here that the leaders have with Peter and John is, that the concern is, they want to control God too. Yeah. And we like to control God. You know, we find things in the Bible that if we do them, it'll make God's behavior predictable and manageable. You know, that God loves what I love and God acts the way I would act. And if I disapprove of something, God disapproves of something. And having God under control is a way to keep other people under control because God says that. I, I, don't, I haven't done it for a while, but um, on occasion I've prayed at city council. And before I do the prayer, I, I always get an email from, from an aide at city council telling me what to do and what not to do. You know, I, I can't evangelize. I can't endorse or criticize any position. Um, I can't um, be partisan. And I often think, well, what can I pray for? But we like to put God in a box so God can be controlled and there are no surprises. Keep God in this box. And God endorses what I want. And the issue with God endorsing what I want is it's all about the status quo, isn't it? If God is in this box, the unforgiven are always unforgiven. The poor are always poor. The hungry remain hungry. The well-to-do remain well-to-do. Those who are number one remain number one. And the response to that is either complacency, thank God things are going my way, or despair, nothing ever changes. Why try? By what name and by whose power do you do this? We want to know so we can keep that power under our control. And the thing that Peter and John say is very disturbing. If you want to know by what power we did this good and kind thing, it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that can be your power, and it can be our power, but God gives it. And you can't keep God in a box. You can kill the love of God, but you can't keep it dead and buried. It's gonna cut, break out, and it's gonna burst forth. You know, that's why Jesus, when he talks about the Spirit of God, talks about it in terms of wind. 
You can't control the wind. God's power of new life, God's resurrection power, will break out beyond our attempts to manage God. Now, the analogy that's often used that I've never liked is, is a nature analogy where the power of the resurrection is like spring. And just as the trees start to bud, um, God's power, you know, but Yesterday I cut the grass, and I thought, my God, dandelions are already up. Thistles are already growing. It snowed the majority of days this week. It was cold. Chris, when are you going to get back to work and make it right? And I realized, I can't stop spring. It's going to burst out. I can't control it. And that's why hymns like the one we just sang are right on the money. We can't control God's recreative power. It's going to burst out. That's hopeful. That's hopeful. Now, it can be disturbing if you're complacent, and it can be liberating if you're despairing. And as I look at the news, I keep thinking about all the way, ways God's recreative power is bursting out to the complacent and to the despairing. Me too. Can't be complacent, can't be despairing anymore. Black Lives Matter. Can't be complacent, can't be despairing. Gun control and the youth at Parkland. Boy, I was tempted to be just despairing. Yeah, nothing's going to happen. God's life is going to burst out whether it's in the church or not. And the church can't control God's life any better than anybody else can for all our rules and regulations. Some of us went to a uh, workshop last Friday called Fresh Expressions, and it's how can the church be fresh? And it talked about getting God out of our church box. And they said, where can you go in your community and take God? Oh, we talked about a bunch of places, and it's, it's fun to think about where we can take God. We talked about getting more involved at Hubbard School beyond tutoring. We talked about maybe getting more involved at North Central Mental Health. Lots of people come in here from there during the week. Maybe we should be going there with some ministry. We talked about going to the dog park for all the people who walk their dogs down by the closed giant eagle. There are lots of places where we can take God 
with resurrection power. Kazantzakis wrote a book, not one of his better known ones, called Saviors of God. I bought it and I thought it would be about saints. You know, I thought it'd be about Saint Francis and so on. People that God used as saviors in the world. It wasn't about that. It was about saving God. God needs to be saved because the church and Christians have put God in a box and managed God and have made God impotent. And he says what, God, what the church needs more than anything is people to save God and liberate God so that God's power can move in the world. I thought that was really a neat idea. That that's the call of Christians now. Is to free God so God's love can go to all people. Now we get to this problematic last verse. There is no name under heaven by which people can be saved other than Jesus. That sounds so exclusive, doesn't it? You know, I think it's putting God right back in the box because people will say, well, if you're not a Christian, God doesn't love you. If you're not a Christian, you don't count. You don't matter. Here's what I wonder about that passage. I don't think it's exclusive. I think it's inclusive. I think what they're saying is God's love has been set free to love all people. And if you want God to be set free and you want other people to be set free let's start with this resurrection power that God gives that makes loving all people possible let's start there that Jesus is the name that makes love of all people possible it's inclusive Back in the 30s, when the Nazis were rising in power, Karl Barth and the Confessing Church published a statement against the Nazis, how they didn't have the authority to do what they were doing, to pass the laws that they were passing. And they called Barth on the carpet. By what authority do you do this? Who gives you the right? Who says so? And Barth's answer was, the resurrection of Jesus gives me the right. What he meant was, you might not acknowledge God's power, but God gives new life in the resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrection power is still at work. I think it's a great answer. What gives you the right to forgive that person? The resurrection of Jesus. What gives you the right to marry people of the same gender? 
the resurrection of Jesus. What gives you the right to care for that other person? The resurrection of Jesus. What gives you the right to show mercy? The resurrection of Jesus. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is given to us to save God and heal others in their relationships, in their conditions, in their need. Let's make the most of it. May it be so. Amen.